please turn in your Bibles now to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. If you're using a pew Bible, you'll find it on page 971. begin with prayer. Lord, we ask that you would open up our eyes, that we might see wonderful things in your law. We pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the church, that you would teach us who you are and the many blessings that you have given to us today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I know there's a little bit of pressure for me this morning. Uh, as a, this is my first week as your pastor. Maybe some people have come to see the new pastor and what he's going to be like. And I ask that you would try to forget me as quickly as possible. If you come here to hear me, you won't be impressed. But I'm going to preach to you from God's word. I'd like you to fix your attention on him. I am just a voice. I'm a servant. And if you got a new mailman, you probably wouldn't get all that excited. The, the, the important thing is who's giving you the, the message, whose message is it that is delivering. This Verse, though, I picked out because I want you all to focus uh, on knowing God. We have a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I won't, I won't talk about much theology here, uh, too much as I begin, but I want you to know uh, what God has done for you and how he has blessed you, and how each of the members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have worked together to save you. Because this verse is really written from the perspective of our experience of God. I want to help us commune with God uh, today. Uh, this is a verse you often hear in benedictions. Um, I'm sure you'll hear it many times. Uh, at Eastbridge. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. This is God's word. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Well, this is a short verse telling us about our triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is one God. We serve one God, but he exists in three persons. And these three persons are the same God, but they are not the same. It's a glorious mystery that's beyond our understanding. But that is just a reminder of how holy God is, how worthy he is of our worship and awe. But this passage also shows us that there is something that we can know about him as our Father, as the Son, and as the Holy Spirit. In fact, 
we have distinct communion with each person in the Trinity. The Father did not die on the cross for you. The Lord Jesus Christ did not send his son to die for you. We have a distinct relationship, distinct things to thank God for uh, in our relationship to him. This morning, I want us to reflect on some of what the scripture teaches us about your fellowship with God. So brothers and sisters, consider now, what is the most important relationship that you have or ever could have? Is it not your relationship with God? He is your creator. He is your redeemer. He is your provider. He is your sustainer. He is the one who will raise you on the last day, and he is the one to whom you must give account. There is not one good thing you have now or have ever had or ever will have that did not come from him. And that's true even if you're not a Christian. He is also the one who sees your deepest hurts that you haven't told anyone and knows the sins that you've been too ashamed to share with anyone. And yet no one has ever loved you more than he does. Consider, too, who he is. He is not just your creator, but the creator of the whole universe. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the lord of all. Angels, get in line to do his bidding. Seraphim, continually praise and cry out about his holiness. Land animals and sea creatures look to him for food and receive their provision from his gracious hand. He causes bacteria to grow and galaxies to spin. He is in every place and he knows all. He knows every molecule that's in the universe, where it is right now. He knows where it was a thousand years ago. He knows where it will be next week. He knows everything that could be known in every way it could possibly be known. And his power, his power has no limits. Is he not worthy of our obedience and praise? But not only is he majestic, not only is he great, he's also good. He is morally perfect. He is holy and kind compassionate, full of loving kindness and truth. He is light, he is life, he is love. He is the source of every good you've ever beheld in anything or in anyone. Is such a God not worthy of your love? And he is not just some impersonal quality or force. He can be known. And so, he has revealed himself to us. He has stooped down that we might know him because he wants you to know him. You were created to know him. He has revealed himself in a general way in creation and in a special way in scripture. Best of all, he has revealed to us in his son, 
who is the exact image of the Father. Knowing him is eternal life. I love this verse in John 17, 3, that Jesus prayed the night on which he was betrayed, the night he gave his life for you. He prayed that we would know the Father and Jesus Christ, his only Son. He said, this is eternal life, that they know you. We often think of eternal life as just life that goes on forever and never ends. For Jesus, it was knowing God. Brothers and sisters, do you wish to know him more? I pray you do. Consider how wonderful he is, how powerful he is, how important he is, how wonderful it is to know him, and by knowing him, to be made like him. Because John also says, when we see him, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Something about beholding God, knowing God, transforms us. And even now, we behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And by faith, we are transformed more and more to his likeness. To be conformed to the image of his son. So brothers and sisters, this is worthy of your attention. I don't mean that you have to become an expert on the Bible because it is possible to know the Bible very well and to know a great deal of theology without actually knowing God. But on the one hand, other hand, you cannot expect to know God well if you ignore how he has revealed himself to us. So what I mean is that we must study God's word, not just for knowledge about God or knowledge about the Bible and its times, but to know God personally. We should strive for this, praying that God would bring us into fellowship and communion with him, that we would know and glorify him all the more. For God is willing to have you truly know him and truly fellowship with him. 1 John 1.3 says, Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In John 14, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Isn't that a wonderful verse? In Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. Brothers and sisters, have you experienced that? Do you feel that your Christian life is dry? If it is, it must be because you do not have this fellowship with Jesus Christ, because there's nothing dry about that relationship. Brothers and sisters, don't be content with a merely outward worship, a merely outward relationship with God, coming here on Sundays and praying to a stranger. But really seek him in the word and the preaching of the word and in prayer. He loves you. He loves you more than anyone has. And he calls you to come to him and be saved. 
Now here in our passage, we have each person of the Trinity named and a certain aspect of that fellowship we have with them uh, and the blessing that he gives to us. I'm going to start with God the Father. Our communion with God the Father that is pointed out here is in love. Our communion with God is in love. Earlier in verse 11, if you look back a couple of verses, he's called the God of love and peace. And that is reflected in the love and the peace that we show to each other. But where does it come from? It comes from the God of love. He is the author and the source of it from the Father. Our fellowship with him is in love and how loving he is. John would write, and he would never get over this, God is love. It defined him. He said, he called himself the disciple who Jesus loved. That's what he always was thinking of, God's love. He is the one who wrote, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Romans 5.8 also says, God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, sometimes you hear people try to share the gospel in such a way that it sounds like God hates us. And, but Jesus loves us. And Jesus jumps in the path of the bullet. And he saves us at the last moment. And God's wrath is spent on him. And God has, well, I guess I have to love them now because their sins are taken away because Jesus stopped my plan. And that is a terrible way to think. It's nothing less than a tritheistic fantasy to have a, a divided God that cannot stand. How could it be that the Trinity is a house divided? No, rather it is God who loved us so much that he sent his son. Jesus, uh, God does not love us because Jesus died for us. Jesus died for you because God loves you. That's why he sent his son. And when did he love us? It was while we were yet sinners, while we were still enemies fighting against him. So what kind of love is this? Clearly, it is a free love. It is not something we've earned. It's not earned, not forced. Now, it's no surprise that we ought to love God, for he's altogether lovely. But why should he love us while we were yet sinners and there is no good in us? Indeed, to save you, it was the hardest thing that anyone has ever done. It was the hardest thing that God has ever done. He created the whole universe just by speaking. But to save you, it cost Jesus his life. Much suffering, much pain, many tears. So you cannot think of the cross and think that you had anything to do, your works participated in any way, if to save you required the death of the Son of God. And yet, that is what he did. He gave his life out of love. He loved us because that's who he is. Deuteronomy 7 says this amazing thing. Moses says, it is 
not because you were more than any other people that God set his love on you, but because God loved you. That's what it says, verse chapter 7 and 8, uh, verse 7 and 8. God loves you because God loves you. That's what Moses says. Because that's who he is. His love, you see, is gracious and free. His love is also first. 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. And you see, therefore, it's also a transforming love. His love changes us and makes us loving in return. It's an active love, not a love in word only, but in deed. And what more could he have done to prove that love than by sending his only son? And he did it. His love, too, is unchangeable. He loved you before you were born. Before the world was created, you, you were in his thoughts. He loves you now. He will love you forever. Maybe it's better to say it this way. Sometimes harder to really believe it. He loves you now. And he'll love you tomorrow. You can trust him. You can rest in this type of love. His love is powerful and infinite. It's like an endless ocean with no borders, no bottom. His love is the source of every good and perfect gift which comes down from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. His love, too, is an adopting love. He does not merely forgive us and say, your debts have been paid, you may go. But rather he says, you are forgiven, you are justified, you may come. My child, you have the right to be called the children of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And you are. And how can we respond to this love? We should rejoice in it. We should delight in it. We can rest in it. We can show reverence and honor to our Father. We can pray that his name would be honored, that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done. We ought to love him in return, which is the great commandment, such a wonderful commandment, isn't it? To love God, there's really nothing more reasonable than that, to love him in return. John Owen said, if the love of the Father will not make a child delight in him, what will? And we can love him in return by obeying his commands, which are all good for us, all given by our loving and wise Father for our good. Our communion with the Father is in love. The aspect of our communion with the Son here is grace. It's in grace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And how full of grace he is. John wrote, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. For his of his fullness we have all received 
grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth was realized through Jesus Christ. Now, if it wasn't for the grace of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't know the love of the Father as we do. And that's probably why, interestingly enough, the grace of the Lord Jesus is mentioned before the love of the Father in our verse. We, we always think the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But here it says the grace of the Lord Jesus and then the love of God and then the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Because this is not the logical doctrinal order of the Trinity, but rather the order in which we experience God. Because no one comes to the Father but through the Son. And it is in the, the, the Son's act of dying that we really come to understand the love of God. Because God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So this grace is what we experience first. We see that Jesus loved us and has forgiven us. And then we realize it was the God, his Father, who sent him for that purpose. And then we come into more fellowship with him and the Spirit. In fact, all that love from the Father is communicated to us through the Son. The grace of Christ, obviously, is unearned. It's free undeserved. It looks upon us in our weakness and rebellion and rescues us because we needed more than just a little help. We needed nothing less than a divine rescue. That's why our salvation is all of grace. Jesus came and lived a perfect life for us and died a cursed death for us because that's what it took to save us. We are justified by grace We are sanctified by grace. We are glorified by grace. And should we not rejoice in this too? Jesus is full of grace. His work is all of grace. He has taken the Father's love and shown that to us in his saving grace. How should we respond to it? We should receive it, believe it, accept it, we take that grace that God has offered to us in Christ and we, we return it back to God and say, this is my righteousness. Receive this in my place and look for no other righteousness to add to it because you won't find any anywhere. We should desire that God gets all the glory for our salvation too. Martin Luther said, if the turning of a straw could save my soul, I would not do it. I would not be a traitor to Jesus. I would not take his work out of his hands. And we ought to get to that point where we want him to get all the glory for our salvation, that our boast would be in nothing but Christ and his cross. We should make sure that Jesus has an exalted place in our life as our Savior, with no rivals. We must remind ourselves that we are acceptable to God through him and not through ourselves. And we ought to worship him for his truly amazing grace. And finally, we are blessed by the Holy Spirit with fellowship. The fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. I do think that this includes our fellowship 
with one another. The Holy Spirit binds us together in the bond of peace. And love is the perfect bond of unity. And those are the fruit of the Spirit. Love, peace, patience. But more importantly, our fellowship is with the Father and Son by the Spirit. So when it says elsewhere that our fellowship is with the Father and the Son, it's not as if the Holy Spirit is excluded. His work is implied. For we have no fellowship with the Father and the Son without the Spirit. As much as God loves you, as much as Jesus did for you, everything that Jesus did for you for the salvation of sinners would be, of, of, would be useless and of no benefit to you as long as Christ remains outside of you. But it is the Holy Spirit who unites us to Christ. And therefore, the Holy Spirit is just as necessary for your salvation as Jesus dying on the cross. If it were were not the Spirit who applies that love and grace to us, we would not know it at all. We would be lost without Him. And we see His work all over Scripture. He is the Comforter. He glorifies the Son. He leads us to the Son. He's like the museum guide. The Bible's like a, a museum And the Holy Spirit is like the guide who goes through and explains to us the meaning, applies it. He teaches us Christ's words. So if any sermon has ever helped you, it's because of the Spirit's loving work. But he also leads us to the Father. He is the one who causes us to pray, Abba, Father. And he witnesses to us that we truly are his children. So you see, it's all connected. The love of the Father sends the Son. The grace of the Lord Jesus applies that love. The Spirit leads us in fellowship to the Father and the Son to receive that love and grace. In all these ways, the Spirit's work is described in Scripture. He's leading us to the Father and the Son. Yet, He is the one who completes it and applies it. Our salvation originates in the Father is accomplished by the Son, is applied by the Holy Spirit, so that we come to know in this way and glorify the whole Trinity who are united in their work to save you. We see, too, in this that the Holy Spirit is a person, too, who you can have fellowship and communion with. He loves you just as much as the Father and the Son love you. He can be grieved, which is sad, But it also shows us his love because only those who truly love can truly grieve, which shows his heart for us. We have fellowship with the Spirit, and it is by the Spirit that we receive all the blessings that the Father has laid up for us in Christ. So, how should we respond to this fellowship? Well, we should be careful to preserve that relationship as you would with any relationship that you have. We should be careful not to grieve him by our sins, by harming the unity of the church which he created. We should not resist his word. We should make use of the spiritual gifts that he's given us. We ought to pray for his sanctifying work that we too would be holy. We should long that his fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness would be seen in us. And we should, by the Spirit, put to death the sin that remains in us, that we would be a temple 
suitable for his indwelling. Brothers and sisters, this is your God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He loves you. He is gracious to you. He wants you to be brought into fellowship with him. In every work, the Trinity is united for this task. But still, we have distinct fellowship with each person in the Trinity. And part of knowing God, of learning and living in that wonderful fellowship with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, is, is knowing how he, has, how he has saved us and loved us. Let us consider what the Father has done for us, what the Son has done for us, what the Spirit has done for us, what they continue to do for us. What a blessing that you have, the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of the Father, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Your whole salvation is, is summed up in these blessings. So let us respond to each person with love and delight and praise for this is your God, the Holy Trinity, the Holy One. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we, we listen to your word. We hear about you. We don't understand you. You are beyond us. And yet at the same time, you have made yourself known to us at least a little we are still on the borders of that vast continent. But we ask that you would increase our knowledge of you all the more, that we might honor you as we should, that we might understand who we are, that we might be conformed to your Son. We pray that you would help us to worship you as you have revealed yourself to us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.